So the eight Beatitudes are expressions of the heart of a person who is in the kingdom. Notice the first Beatitude and the eighth Beatitude, those bookends around there that says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a way of expressing in those bookends that everything in between is also true of those kind of people. So as we look at these, they're not only initially true, but they should be increasing in our lives as we grow in maturity. The Beatitudes, then, the word blessed does not mean happy. It's God's pronouncement of approval of these kind of people. If these things are true in your life, you have divine approval. If they're not true in your life, then you do not have God's approval. The opposite of the Beatitudes are the woes set forth, the curses, in Luke's version, it says this, Woe to you who are rich, you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. God has rescued us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his own Dear Son, and the response ought to be as we go through here, Lord, thank you for convicting me of my sin, giving me a heart so stricken by my sin that I looked at you from the divine aspect. God caused us to be born again. And now these heart attitudes are true in all of his people, but how they need to increase, how I need to grow and be conformed in a greater measure to the image of his own dear son. We looked at the first one. What does poor in spirit means? Poor in my human spirit. I recognize that I am bankrupt. I don't have the resources to get me into heaven. Only Christ does. But it's also true, John 15, that I do not have the resources to live a godly life. I need to depend upon God. I need to draw from the vine as a branch. Uh, and they're promised that it'll be consummated in the kingdom of heaven. God's rule is tasted now, and it will be consummated later. The second beatitude is really the emotional counterpart of the first one. The first one, we're thinking correctly. Remember the heart? It's your mind, your will, and involves your emotions. So in the first one, you're thinking correctly about your sin uh, you're thinking correctly about God. And then in the second one, we mourn over our sin. I don't rejoice in sin. I'm ashamed of my sin. And I need help to turn from my sin and love what God loves and hate what God hates. And what are they uh, uh, promised? They will, they will be comforted. Um, by uh, God himself. Now we come to the third beatitude, which in many ways is the hardest one to get a handle on. What exactly are the meek? 
When you think of meekness, what comes to your mind? The, the, the adjective here is only used four times in the New Testament, but the noun, the corresponding noun, meekness, sometimes translated gentleness, is used 11 times in the New Testament, and it is a huge uh, issue, theological issue. So, um, and what are they promised? The inheritance of the earth. So what kind of meekness, or often translated gentleness, has God's stamp of approval? To answer that question, I would like you to turn with me to Psalm 37. Here in Psalm 37, a psalm of David, if you will look, jump down to verse 9, and it says for Actually, I'll start in verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. That, that word for fret means to, to work yourself emotionally up in, in anger. You're, you're all upset, not necessarily in a righteous way. And you're being oppressed by evil people. For evildoers will be cut off but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So this is what David is extolling here. Those who wait for the Lord, that word also means to hope in him. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Now here it is, parallel to wait for the Lord, because you'll inherit the land, is the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So this, this Psalm 37 is an Old Testament key text on what meekness, in fact, means. So we begin at the, be at the very beginning. And in 37.1, we already see that David is oppressed by evildoers, parallel that to those who are, who are wrongdoers, Remember Psalm 73 seems to be a spiritual optical illusion as the psalmist looks out and he sees the wicked prospering and he, he seems like to him he's confused at this point that they never suffer hardships. Their life is always good. And then he comes back and he says, if I would have spoken like this, I would have dishonored God. And then it was, I was brought back to reality when I thought about their end and when I went in the house of God and the sanctuary and begin to reflect upon him. So David has known this in his own experience. Fret not, we don't use that word a lot, but it means to don't be uh, stirred up uh, because of the wicked. Uh, don't be eaten up with distress over the wicked. There's a place for righteous anger, but don't just let that eat you up so you turn sour. Um, and don't be envious of the evildoers. You may think they're prospering. You may look at their prosperity. But, oh, he reminds us that's not their end. They're going to soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So what are, what are characteristics then that David is admonishing? You trust in the Lord. He is your refuge, and you do good. You dwell in the land. You make faithfulness 
your dear companion. You delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, namely the desires that he wants you to have. He'll replace our sinful desires with his desires. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Again, verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So what, what do we learn about meekness here from this text? Meekness in particular comes out when we are oppressed, when we are persecuted, and we have evil done against us, and people saying evil things uh, about us. And it is this particular psalm that I'm convinced that Jesus refers back to. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant good. So first of all, a meek person recognizes who he trusts. He looks to the true Yahweh, the true God of heaven above. He delights himself in him. All this wickedness and all the things, instead of returning evil for evil and getting all sinfully churned up about it, this person focuses upon God. He knows who he is before God. He has had the forgiveness of sin, and his trust is in him. He recognizes that God is sovereign over the evil, over the wicked, but they are accountable for it. But his emphasis is, verse 7, be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Hope in him. So first characteristic, I would say the main one is this. A meek person does not return evil for evil. He trusts in the Lord. He directs his attention up this way and knows who he is before God. And that enables him or her to respond in ways that trust God and commit our way to him. We're not sinfully throwing rocks. It's easy in evangelicalism to, to start some type of uh, movement um, that, that gets a little bit on, on the edge side and almost is rock throwing. That's the opposite here of meekness. And there is also a gentleness that is involved, a kindness. But it always starts with this, a person who is meek, has to know the living God and trust him. There's nothing harder than going through difficulties. I have my own sin to deal with, but sometimes people are doing sinful things to you. And you wake up in the middle of the night, and it's not that easy to just say, well, trust the Lord and commit your way to him. I can't go back to sleep. There are tears in my eyes. We were in Colorado this past week. One of the reasons we, we meet with a couple of pastors and their wives uh, every year, we're on the same page theologically, and one of them is going through a very difficult time. And he can't sleep at night. Got up in the morning, I put my arm around him. I said, how are you doing? He said, I can't sleep. It's just, it, it, it's just so oppressive. I can't get it out of my mind. I said, hey, let's go out and sit on the deck. 
We prayed together. We cried together. Um, told him that I love him. I can't take away his pain. But meekness, not responding in an ungodly way, not returning evil for evil, but praying for those, for your persecutors. Praying we're supposed to love our enemies. How do I do that? I, I have to pray that God would work in their hearts and convict them of sin and sinfulness. This aspect of, of meekness is crucial for us as believers to live holy, godly lives in a world that is not our friend. Jesus warned repeatedly in the farewell discourse, they are going to persecute you. The world is not going to thank you for being a godly person. They're going to come after you. Now, by speaking the gospel and living lives that reflect the reality of the gospel, there's hope and help for others. This does not mean that some understand meekness as weakness. You just let people walk all over you. Um, you're a, a doormat. Look, we, we live in an age in which I never thought it would happen. We have to have security in our local church. Armed security. We, we as elders think it's wise to, to protect you. We have people who, who, are, who are trained, and sometimes they've seen things out in the parking lot, and they go out and, and uh, uh, confront it. Um, we don't think that, that meekness is that kind of... Uh, Humility, just say, come in and shoot all of us, and, 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 uh, or we don't have any, any rights. Um, no. Meekness means I know the living God. I know I've been a redeemed saint. I know what I really deserve. So in interacting with others who oppress me, I do not return evil for evil, but rather respond with kindness and with truth and with boldness. I just read uh, Luke 6. I'm not going to turn there so we can make sure it get us enough time to go to the Lord's table. But when you look at the opposite, an antonym of, of meekness is a self-asserted proud person, values attainment of materialism over God, a life of self-satisfaction and smugness, Superficial laughter. Now, God's the one who created laughter. I, I love laughing. It's good medicine. Laugh over the right kind of things. But there's a superficial kind of laughter that's a mocking laughter. It's a ridicule of, of God. Uh, the opposite of meekness is in, to be endorsed by a worldly system opposed to God. So on the one hand, you know your place before God. You know you're a forgiven sinner, and you're going to treat people in a kind, gracious, yet bold way, calling them to repentance, and you're not going to return evil for evil, and you're not going to be proud and self-assertive. Self um, 
Let's look at some examples of meekness. I think that really helped us flesh it out. What does meekness look like in a person? Well, we're going to turn, turn with me back to Numbers chapter 12. To the meekest person among humans that are mentioned in Scripture. Numbers chapter 12. So there becomes a controversy in verse 1. Miriam, sister, and Aaron, his brother, they spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he'd married a Cushite woman. Now, many take that the, thing, that the issue is here is of racial prejudice. I'm not convinced of that. Uh, Cush could be uh, Ethiopian, it could be Egyptian, but if you also look earlier... Um, it's, it's also uh, could possibly be of an Arabian descent. So, but when I really look at it, here's the issue that they're concerned about. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? In other words, I think contextually the issue here is maybe Miriam was a little bit concerned that she's not going to be the leading voice among women there any longer. And uh, now that Moses has, has taken on a Cushite wife, she's going to be a little bit down on uh, the esteem of the people. At least contextually that seems to be. So here's Moses. The man of God has been leading the people. He's had a lot of rocks thrown at him at, at this point, going through some hard, hard times. And here, the two closest people in his family turn against him, and they start arguing and say, hey, uh, what, what about us? Boy, verse 2, and the Lord heard it. Now, some say Moses could not possibly have, have written this. How could you be a meek person and proclaim your meekness? You know, if you're, if you're humble, you go, I'm the humblest man upon planet Earth. You're all going to look at me and go, I think you just erased that um, by announcing your humility. How could, how could this comment be made? Remember, Moses is writing Scripture, and God is inspiring it. So now... The man Moses was very meek more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Well, what is this like? How's he going to respond to this? So suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. The three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward and he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. So who is vindicating Moses? God is. We don't find there that Moses came at them, started arguing with them, uh, got ugly towards them. But God himself is the person. He's waiting upon God. Remember Psalm 37? You wait upon the Lord. You call upon him. 
Verse 7, not so with my servant Moses, he's faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then weren't you afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous. Like snow. Aaron turned toward Miriam, and, and behold, he saw it. She was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away. And when he comes out of his mother's womb, so Moses, he could have stood there and go, you got what you wanted. Take that for opposing my leadership. What do you think of that? That, that would be exactly the opposite of meekness. Moses looks out. He sees that they have repented. They've recognized that they've done foolishness, and his heart goes out to them. And, and in the prayer of entreaty, it, it's like his heart is so tender toward them, and he prays to God, please, please. It's a little particle twice in Hebrew. Moses cried to Yahweh, the covenantal God, Oh, God, please hear her, heal her, please. So there it is. Why is he the meekest man upon the planet? He gets opposition. What does he do? What else is he going to do about it? He turns to the Lord. He's the main leader at this time. He trusts in him. He commits his way to him, and he depends upon him. When I was in classes down at Ligonier and doctoral classes, an issue came up with, I won't mention his name, one of the key pastors here in the United States, and R.C. informed us about a difficulty that he was going through, and, and uh, um, he, he just uh, told the elders, you know what, I'm going back in my study, you guys deal with it. When you're done, call me back in. He didn't try and defend himself. He knew the charges were fallacious, and he just went in and committed his way to the Lord. R.C. goes, man, if it was me, I'd come out with guns blazing after them. Meekness is not an easy attribute to exemplify, but God gives grace to his people that we would be this kind of person. But if you really want an example of meekness, let's turn back to Matthew chapter 11. And, and remember that, that you have to hold these in balance. What did, what did uh, Moses do when he came down out of the mountain and he looks down there and he sees the children of Israel and what they're doing and the idolatry and Aaron, well, I just threw, you know, all this stuff in the fire and this golden calf just popped out. And <laughs> so what does he do? He, he, he melts it down and, and puts it in the water, and the people got to drink it, and, he, and he's righteously angry with them. That's this meek man, this meek man. So meekness does not mean that you don't boldly confront sin. But when someone repents, you throw your arms around them. 
and you endorsed them, and you're so thankful they repented. Now, watch how this is exemplified in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you turn over with with me to Matthew chapter 11. Most of us are familiar with verses 28 and 29. Jesus is saying, come to me, to me. In contrast to uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, what are they doing? They're saying, follow this, do this. They're putting grievous burdens upon the people from the law of Moses that even they can't keep. And Jesus says, no, come to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So who is this invitation to? Those who are downtrodden and recognize it. They're weary with the burdens that have been placed upon them. They're downtrodden through sin, and Jesus extends the invitation, come to me, and what will he do? He will give them rest. Lord willing, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday in the 6 to 7 hour, we will start working through uh, the little book by Dane Ortland entitled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Jesus for Sinners. What a, what a superb little book that is. He basically has gone to the Puritans, particularly Thomas Watson, and drawn out some of those. But he says, look, if, if you want to know the heart of Jesus, it's right here. It's in this text. I am gentle, that's the word for meek, and lowly, humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He doesn't say rest for you physically. He says rest for your souls. Now, watch how Jesus, this is for those who come to him, who know the heaviness of sin, and who coming to him, Jesus says, this is how you're going to find me. I'm going to be meek. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be lowly. There, and, and I'm going to give you rest. Now, jump right back in the same context to verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So who is he speaking to? The unrepentant. The people who have hardened their hearts. He's warning them. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. If the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. I think clearly this is one of those key texts. It, it will be bad enough to be in hell. Weeping and gnashing of teeth 
outer darkness. Have you gone ever gone to one of these these caves, these caverns where where you're in there, and uh, you're you're deep down in there, and they turn off the lights and they go brace yourself, brace yourself. Just a little description. Out outer darkness. You're you're alone. There's there's a fire. Whatever this fire is, it isn't extinguished. But here, it's even worse to have been exposed to the truth and to have rejected it. If you're here this morning, and you have never believed in Jesus Christ, you have heard it, the truth, over and over again, and have not repented and turned from your sin. I admonish you. I plead with you. Take this seriously. Turn from your sin and believe upon Jesus Christ. It'll be worse for you than those who have never heard the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. So, on the one hand, boldness, firmness against those who are opposed to the gospel, the unrepentant, warning them to repent. But if you're burdened down by sin, you're heavy laden. Jesus' arms are wide open. Come to me, come to me, and I will give you rest. You'll experience the forgiveness of sin. You'll find the rest that is only in him. And this is a demonstration of meekness of our Lord himself. We could think of Paul as well. 1 Corinthians 4.21, he, he shows that contrast. Shall I come with you to you with a rod, or shall I come to you with gentleness and meekness? Jesus said to those who humble themselves and recognize their own sin and repent, uh, Matthew, later on in chapter 12, he'll quote from Isaiah, A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth, till he sends forth justice to victory. The servant of Isaiah, here it is Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. He's not characterized by... Uh, ugly, carnal rhetoric like mobs used to incite. He handles weak people pictured as bent reeds and flickering lamps with compassion and gentleness. And in the end, he will cause justice to triumph. Wait for him. I don't know what your, what your week has been like, the past month has been like. Only, only believers really struggle with holiness only, only we struggle with the sin principle that still remains within us. And so when we sin, we tend to think, oh, is, is God going to hear me? Um, I'm ashamed of my sin. Maybe, maybe he's like an overstern father and he won't listen to me. It's just the opposite. 
the first person that I need to do, to call upon when I sin. We're to be a repentant people, a meek people, who recognize our position before God is one of grace and mercy, and come back to Him and call upon Him. I'm and I'm, I'm weary with my own sin, and I'm wondering, will I ever get past these sin habits in my life so I have a responsibility to go to the Word of God, saturates myself with Scripture. I need to put off sin, put on holiness, and in the middle, that infinitive, is to renew my mind with Scripture so those sins don't dominate me, and then go to Him, go to Him. His arms are open to us. He's gentle toward us, toward the repentant. Are, are we like that? Do we know our position before God? It's all one of grace and mercy. When I see a, a person fall, a, a believer, do I throw rocks at them or do... I pray for them and admonish them to repent and turn to him. Go to a passage like this and, and turn to the Lord. Yes, there are consequences for sin, but turn to him. Turn to him. You're not going to find anybody more receptive to you to grant forgiveness than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 1 Peter 3, 4, it's, it's one of the marks of... Uh, the godly women who have a gentle, a meek, and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of much uh, precious value. Meekness. I would, I would summarize it this way. Meekness is being concerned about what God approves. Blessed are the meek. These are the kind of people that God approves. They, Psalm 37, they are trusting and waiting and hoping in God. They're tender and yet they're tough. They're gentle and they are tenacious. And they commit their cause to God and they know the ultimate end. They know the ultimate end. The meek, not the strong in the world's view, but the meek, those who commit their way to God, they will inherit the earth. There's a new heavens and a new earth coming. We wait for it, and we trust our living God that he will work in our hearts. We're going to worship at the Lord's table, and we're going to remind ourselves that at the foot of the cross, it's level ground. It's level ground. None of us are here because of our education, because of our social standing. Um, our, we're here because Christ has done a work of grace in our hearts, convicting us of sin. We have repented and turned to him, and we are remembering him and evaluating our own selves at this time and reminding ourselves he's coming again. Dylan, come and lead us. <laughs>